You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Well, hello, Mayank. Hey, Mike. How's it going, buddy? It's going well. Mayank, for the people that haven't come across you online, tell our listeners who you are, why we're talking, what's hot. Sure. So so my name is Mayank Amin. Uh, people commonly refer to me as Dr. Mac in this town. Um, people also refer to me as crazy, um, but that's why I'm here. Um, I'm a wedding planner. I'm a dancer. I've been in a couple of movies, um, but I'm also a pharmacist. And the reason why I'm on today is uh, I think it's my pharmacy aspect of my profession. Um, and with me opening a, an independent pharmacy in an area where uh, there was a drought and a large chain ended up closing the last independent that was here. Mm. Um, and now I'm here, Skip Back Pharmacy. You know, you're lucky I didn't know about your dancing or I would have saved this interview until I was doing YouTube videos. We would have had you on for that. In the future, we'll make sure that happens. What do you mean you're a dancer? <laughs> what do you mean by that? I started a dance company in college. Um, a part of me um, loves the whole aspect of entertainment um, and also taking care of people. Uh, for me, the entertainment aspect in pharmacy school was starting a dance team. Um, and that dance team, lo and behold, we worked very hard at it. A lot of challenges. Obviously, you're a pharmacy student. Um, classes are not easy to say the least, but you have to juggle your time. And anything that I want or that I put my hands on, I don't just want to do it. I want to become the best at it. So our dance team at that time became one of the best dance teams in America that did Bollywood dancing. It's the Indian version of Hollywood. I see a lot of Bollywood in the last four or five years. Lo and behold, from that, I ended up getting some acting opportunities um, I was a stand-in double for Dev Patel, the main actor of uh, The Last Airbender, Avatar, um, a film by M. Night Shyamalan. That actually came right out of pharmacy school, so it was a lot of fun. And all these experiences, they kind of add on to the pizzazz or um, the difference of me being a pharmacist that actually has a different side to me. Uh, and those are all things I incorporate. Were you a stunt double? Uh, a stand-in double. What does that mean? I had the a similar look, figure... Uh, skin texture, uh, pretty much it's called body double in short for is a synonymous for stand in double. Um, and lo and behold, right next to M night Shyamalan, they used you for all the nude scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they need a double if it's not for the stunts? A lot of the things that people don't get about the movie industry is a 30 second scene can take a few hours to record when you have a scene where they don't require the main actor's full body and face to be running away from the screen. Oh. Someone like myself who has the same figure, uh, body, skin type can be running away from the screen and to the viewer that looks like it's the main actor, but in reality it's myself. If you're at a restaurant, they might have your back or something over your shoulder or something where they're not showing your face, but no sense wasting the time of the, the main actor for that. Correct. But it was a phenomenal experience. And it was actually my last year in pharmacy school where I got a call from the casting director. And I thought it was a joke, but lo and behold, it was actually true. And we got to work on the main set with all the actors, actresses, walk the red carpet. And I thought I was famous at that time because uh, <laughs> all my friends, I was working for uh, a chain pharmacy at that time. And my boss ended up... Uh, it was one of the things I actually hid from him for a while. But <laughs> afterwards, when I told him that I was a part of a movie, 
um, they ended up putting me in their magazine and really? they featured me all over the place. So it was actually a good thing instead of me having to hide it from them. I looked on your website and would it be safe to assume that you know how to throw a wedding best for your culture? Because I saw the Indian beautiful garb of the bride and the groom and all the colors and all that stuff. And we just have like from Grand Rapids, yes. we're, we're like white and black, you know? <laughs> so do you specialize in the Indian culture weddings, which are so beautiful, or do you do anything? Never intended to be a wedding planner. Um, I went to business school at Villanova uh, after graduating from the University of Sciences as a pharmacist. And when I went there, we had to come up with a class project. It was a class about innovation. So I was already in healthcare. I didn't want to create something in healthcare. I wanted to do something different. And I already had the entertainment background. Um, People thought I was good at event management. So I was like, you know what? Let me make an event management um, or a wedding planning company um, as a business idea just for the class project, make a PowerPoint, do a sample wedding, and then report back to the class. And when I did that first sample wedding, um, that's when some of the bridesmaids and groomsmen were like, we're getting married in two months and you're our wedding planner. And then I was like, no, I'm just doing this as a project. They're like, we'll pay you. (laughs) And I was like, all right, let's talk. And uh, here I am uh, five years later, over 120 weddings that we've done throughout the world, done all kinds of weddings, everything from uh, Indian, South Asian weddings. Um, That's kind of what we specialize in. Yeah. Um, But we've also done uh, Hindu with Jewish uh, African-American with Indian, Caucasian with Caucasian, uh, at some of the largest venues uh, in this country and throughout the world. So it's it's a fun experience. And right now, obviously, with COVID, uh, this year has been shot um, completely. Basically, all of our weddings have canceled due to COVID. And the average size of the wedding I do is 500 and up. So that's not happening. Does the Indian culture typically have bigger weddings than we're seeing in Grand Rapids weddings? What's the most political way to say non-Indian weddings? Most people just refer to them as American weddings. Even though I'm American, I was born here. Yeah, you're an American, so I can't say American <laughs> weddings, you know. Let's say um, let's say let's say boring weddings. Let's just put it that way. Are weddings of the Indian culture they're typically bigger than than the American boring weddings? Well, definitely they are larger and uh, a large part of it being larger is that most of the times uh, Indian parents end up paying for the weddings and they never had this kind of money when they were younger. Mm -hmm. So when they got married, it might have been like 10 people um, in the local town. So this is an opportunity for them to also celebrate their wedding indirectly. So out of the 800 people I had at my wedding, um, I would say more than half were my parents' friends. Yeah, And even then... My dad was kind of disappointed in me because he's like, you're a wedding planner and you only found a venue that could fit 800. (laughs) He wanted to invite like 1,200, um, but the only old 800 is what we ended up having. Um, The largest I've done is 1,400. I don't know that many people. (laughs) Okay, let's say I had my friends and family. I could triple that number by inviting my enemies, but even that then is not 1,400. How do you get that many people that you even know? It's a lot of, uh, I guess, relationships that have lasted over the years. And that's what I stress to people, my students and everybody is never burn a bridge. Um, and because you never know who's going to come back and help you out. Like today, for example, on my LinkedIn post, um, the president, past president of the University of Sciences just commented on my um, post that I had. And he's also the person that wrote me my recommendation letter for business school. And he was the president of a university. Um, as a student, all I did was 
I kept in touch with him. Yeah. While other students might might be afraid or not have the time to uh, go and meet someone yeah. of that sort, I would make it uh, a different aspect in terms of, you know, why not? I'm right. sure he doesn't have normally have students come and talk to him. Yeah. So why not be that one student that goes and says, sure. hey, how's your day going? Or sure. is there any projects that I can help with? Um, and that's kind of helped me uh, keep those connections and build my personal network. Yeah, right. Pharmacists are listening right now and they're saying, all right, we've got a handsome actor – a dancer, a guy with 800 friends, a guy with an MBA who's got a business, a wedding planning business. And now the next thing they're saying is, why the hell did he open up a pharmacy? So Maya, tell the inquisitive crowd right now what happened. I'm a believer in the fact that things come along in your life that you may not have planned. Um, about two and a half, three years ago, the Philadelphia Inquirer interviewed me. And believe it or not, the first thing that I did when I walked into that room, they said, play some music and dance for us. And they started <laughs> taking photos. So that's definitely happened before, just for the record. And those are the photos they used on the front page of the Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> Knowing you were a pharmacist, they wanted you to dance for them. Of course, because that's what pharmacists do. <laughs> we do things differently. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the last line that they wrote in that article... And they had actually called my professors and my Walgreens pharmacy manager, a few different people to get their thoughts because uh, a big part of it was uh, a jack of all trades. Is he possibly a master of none? Does he do a thousand things and he's just mediocre at all of them? So they had asked those questions. The last thing that they wrote in the article, uh, they had asked me about what I wanted to do in the future. So I talked about the whole thing of I don't plan to be a master of everything, but I will work very hard at whatever I do. And whatever comes along the way in my life, I will dedicate myself to fully. And I said that I want to create something that can help patients that don't have money or that can give patients better access to better health. I never thought I was going to open a pharmacy. Not in my wildest dreams. If I had to ever imagine myself, I wanted to be a movie actor. I wanted to be a basketball player. I wanted to do everything else besides open a pharmacy. You could say it was probably on the, the bottom of my list of things that I want to do in my life. How long had you been out of pharmacy school at that point? About eight years. Eight years. Okay. And my path was actually heading towards a non-pharmacy route. I was going to quit my job at Pfizer. I was working there as a safe, drug safety associate. I was going to quit my job at Pfizer to become a full-time event and wedding planner. Hmm. And I told my wife and my parents and everybody else um, that I was going to do this, and they all thought I was crazy. Um, but they also saw how popular I was and how popular the, our company is in the events and wedding industry. So they said, you know what? You might be good at it. Let's move forward with that. Yeah. And I was I walked into Walgreens because I was still working for Walgreens. Um, I was covering a shift for an employee that was sick. And this was the Walgreens that I was one of the pharmacists that ha helped open the store right by my house. I walked in, closing time, 9 o'clock, walked out, and I saw on the reader board, it said, welcome Skipac Pharmacy patients. And I was like, no way that pharmacy closed down. It was like the busiest independent pharmacy in the area. Um, and I just thought to myself, like, how did that happen? And I didn't know anything about independent pharmacies, their struggles or what that aspect is. I just thought that they serve people that have more needs um, that want particular care. Because for me, all I thought of was Walgreens, CVS, right here, the chains. That's all I was drilled right. in my head throughout school and after school. Um, and I actually had never walked into an independent pharmacy in my life. But I was like, you know what? I went home, kept on thinking about it, and maybe it was just a light bulb, but it was like 
something drove me saying, why don't you drive over there and just see what happened? So the next day I drove by Skipback Pharmacy and I sat outside in the parking lot because there was a whole bunch of people um, looking through the windows and there was red signs all over the windows and the door. And the red sign was telling people that their prescriptions have been transferred over to CVS. To these people, it didn't make sense. They were still trying to open the door as if they're going to be able to open the door, even though it was locked and this pharmacy just shut down overnight. Hmm. And, you know, you could see these people. It was almost as if they had lost someone important in their life yeah. or if it, like, like a death had happened in their family. Because right. for them, it was 50 years of coming to this place, walking down the same aisle, grabbing their newspaper, talking to their friends, grabbing milk. All the things that you see in traditional pharmacies that people might have done, this was the first thing in this town. So all of a sudden to have that broken and shattered, um, it was heartbreaking experience for them. And I was just sitting in the car, you could say kind of like a creeper, just observing these people. <laughs> I just wanted to see what was going on. And then enough of that happened in the 30 minutes that I was sitting there that I was like, something needs to happen. Um, I wasn't going to let this just sit there. And so I looked, started looking more into it. And then I realized that this pharmacy was bought out by CVS. And I also realized that all the other pharmacies in the area, even though CVS bought them out, they were all trying to capture the patients because I was trying to figure out why would Walgreens put a sign out even sure. though they didn't buy them. Right. Um, likewise, all the other pharmacies were putting signs out saying, welcome, skip back pharmacy patients. And at that time, I was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. What if I just looked into this more a little bit and then asked people, uh, you know, would you want this pharmacy to come back if somebody had the guts to reopen it? I didn't look into the whole aspect of profit, actually, of how the independent pharmacy model works, uh, how they make money. None of that crossed my mind. And actually, none of it did even after um, I signed the contract or the agreement that we're going to open this place back up. I met with the landlord and the rent was extremely high. It's probably higher than a majority of the independent owners, I would say, more than 90% of the owners that might be listening to this podcast. Sure. Um, we're not in downtown Manhattan, but our rent is pretty high, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I was like, you know what? Let me just take that risk and try to open up, open this place back up. And worst case, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least I tried fighting for these patients um, because I, I, rev I looked at all the reviews. I reached out to every person that, have, that had commented on Google, on Facebook. And I just messaged them saying, I'm looking to open this place back up. Would you guys come back? I reached out to doctors um, and everyone was like, yes, this place was so important to the people of this town. Definitely something to look at. But then I asked some other <laughs> independent owners and they were like, that rent, forget about it. Don't even, you know, don't risk it. It's too much work. A lot of the veteran pharmacy owners, they were the ones telling me like, it's not a good idea because yeah. you're going to have to put in so much work and the profit aspect might not be there. Yeah. But I like kind of going into those situations where people tell me that you're not going to be able to do something. That's what happened in my school. Uh, one of my counselors told me that you should cut back on your dancing activities and this and that because you're not going to make it in school. Lo and behold, I, I did pass school somehow. <laughs> and Forbes quoted me on that when <laughs> when I had a, an interview with them saying that what was one of the most remembering moments of your pharmacy career. And I told him that the whole aspect of someone told me I can't do something. And I said, I'm going to prove it that I can do it. Yeah. And that's what I, what I ended up doing with this pharmacy is I just literally, and I, yes, I did quit my job at Pfizer. I still 
planned 40 weddings last year. So that aspect hasn't changed. Now I just wow. have two jobs and I don't sleep that much to say the least. <laughs> so let me think about this. CVS bought the files and maybe some of the inventory or something. And I imagine that the owner had some kind of a non-compete. And then when you came in, you didn't necessarily buy a pharmacy at all. You're paying rent and you're opening up a pharmacy and you're just using a name that was sitting in the laundry heap. Correct. It was it was kind of interesting in the sense that the way the past owner, um, the pharmacy manager and the owners were different. So it was like a, a group that owned the pharmacy mm. and then a pharmacy manager that managed it. Um, two people, a husband and wife, they managed it. So they must have realized that this thing was tanking in the sense of they had other issues going on outside of uh, the pharmacy. And I don't know those issues, nor do I. I care about whatever sure. it was the reason that happened. But in the meanwhile, they opened a pharmacy nearby because they did not have ownership over here at this pharmacy. So they closed. They kind of like, all right, this, let's pull a smart move here. We're going to shut this place down because our owners actually want to get out of this. They see where which direction this industry is headed. Right. They want to get out. Meanwhile, I still have all these patients. Why don't I just open up another independent like five miles away? I already have all that data. Technically, you're not supposed to do that. But, you know, let me contact those patients on the side and say, hey, we'll deliver to you. When you say I have the data, you're talking that's what they were saying. The past pharmacy manager. Yeah, the past pharmacy managers. Not only was CVS not happy that I opened this place, that other owner was not happy that I opened this place because now all the patients that he thought he was going to just keep at his pharmacy right. five miles away from here. Right. Um they were going to start coming back here because you're not going to drive five miles to, more to go to a pharmacy. So I had two obstacles along the way. And and also, and that's the sad thing, um, which I've come to realize with this, in, with this industry, is that you have owners that really want to help each other. Yeah. Right down the street from me, 3.4 miles away, there's an owner. Uh, his name is Greg of Rand Pharmacy, R-A-N-N Pharmacy. They have a pharmacy that's been around for ages as well. Yeah. He welcomed me with open arms nice. and he, he probably knew that, okay, some of the customers from this area must have shifted over to him yeah, and that they'll probably come back now that someone's opening. He walked in first time I met him, such a happy, jolly guy. He brought me an accounting device, like a script pro type thing. Uh, he, he brought me a machine over and then I looked at the price of it and it was a couple thousand dollar thing that he gave me. Um, he was willing to help me and that's what independent pharmacy owners need to do. So on one end, I had independent owners that were like, we're with you in this fight together. And then on the other side, I had uh, the previous owner of this place writing negative reviews on our Google. And if you see our Google Skip Back Pharmacy, you probably see initial like one or two Google reviews that were negative comments before we even opened our doors. Um, you also you also see that while we're at Skip Back Pharmacy, if you Google Skip Back Pharmacy, Right underneath Skip Back Pharmacy on Google, you'll see something called Skip Back Pharmacy Services. So the guy played his cards right. He took the old phone number of this pharmacy, the old fax number, um, and he, you know, took this pharmacy over to a neighboring town, called it Skip Back Pharmacy Services. The manager. Yeah, the manager. To this date, one and a half years later, they still answer the phone on that old line saying, Skip Back Pharmacy, can I help you? So this is where things get juicy. And it's like, this is part of the story that our patients know about it because um, we're honest people. I don't, I, if, if it's something's true, I'm going to tell people the truth. And these are the kind of things where to this day, I have doctor's offices. The old phone number, the old fax number are still in people's short script data. Sure. So 
Prescriptions still get sent there by accident. Doctors are still calling in scripts to the old pharmacy by accident. Um, and that must have happened at least, I would say, 100, 150 times in the last year, year and a half. Wow. So we always have to tell people this is the new Skip Back Pharmacy, the real one, the only one yeah. located at XYZ address. Here's our new phone number. Here's our new fax number. Please make sure you send it to the right one. So this, it's not just a challenge against everything else that independent owners face. It's a new type of challenge of you're going to have other independent owners who aren't happy. And I think personally that if we are all in this fight together, that kind of nonsense shouldn't happen. The owners that used to own this don't care. They're done. Kind of interesting. And I, and I guess some of the owners who have sold to CVS or the other chains might realize this. But when you sell your pharmacy to a large chain, if they retain a certain percentage of customers in the first year or I don't know the full details, right. they get XYZ amount of money. It's like a little bonus. So guess what? Now you have this guy who's willing to work 20 hours a day and literally change what people viewed of this pharmacy, come back. You know he's going to break that quota that CVS is going to retain that amount of people. I'm not letting that happen. Not the managers, but the owner. The actual owner. He hasn't been upset, but when his bonus goes down, he might understand what's happening. What's odd to me, it seems like the managers who now own the other one, they weren't under any kind of a non-compete or something. Could they have opened right where you were and, and said skip acts? Yes, but I think that the whole aspect was that once this place got sold to CVS and the files technically got switched over there, yeah, it would have taken more time for them to kind of get a new license. They play their cards right in terms of opening one already, like a year before, six months before. Oh, So that way there's no gap in coverage. The patients are literally smooth transition, follow XYZ managers over to this place. They knew it was coming before it actually closed, so they were able to leave and do that. Correct. And and I learned a lot of this from the old employees that worked here before. Right. Um, a part of me just interviewed them, and I wanted to know what happened. Yeah. Um, and it, what's kind of interesting is um, when I signed the agreement for this pharmacy and I got a NPI number and things like that, it comes on the public website. Yeah, I got in a phone call at 11 o'clock at night from one of the previous owners, not the managers, one of the owners saying that if you cancel your contract um, in terms of with the landlord, we will pay you X, Y, Z amount of cash. Because they want to get that bonus from the main one. Exactly. And they're already going to lose some of the bonus to the other one that moved a few miles away, but they don't want to lose more to you then also. Yes. So it's kind of crazy. Like, one day there will potentially be a movie about this. With my movie background, I do want to create a movie one day because this is like, yeah. it's kind of interesting. There's so much juice behind it. Right. And to this date, like um, we've had our pharmacy students come and they see all this that's happening. So for them, it's not like they're just coming to work at a pharmacy. People don't choose Skip Back Pharmacy as their rotation site because yeah. they get to be a technician and just count pills all day. Their projects are like, okay, we're going to be writing a letter to the State Board of Pharmacy because there was 10 cases where a prescription got sent to the old number that answers as Skip Back Pharmacy. Yeah. Let's let's work on that. These are all different challenges that we face, but you know, regardless, I think they're just humps along the way that you have to maneuver around. Up until this part of the story, we're going to talk more about some revelations of pharmacy business in general. But up to this point of the story, I know hindsight's 2020, but not knowing what you didn't know 
if you had to come in somewhat blind again, is there anything that you would have done differently? If I had to do it again, I would say, or if anyone's considering it, sometimes the less you know, the better. Because (laughs) if anyone literally gets a paper out and kind of analyzes this industry and everything that's happening... um, and they have things like kids. <laughs> for example, if you want to see your kids and your family yeah. members, you really have to calculate things. And for me, I guess I didn't have a lot of those other factors, Yeah. needless to say. Um, and I'm kind of that entrepreneur that's like, all right, you know, here's a ball, figure out what to do with it. And then we're going to make, make it move. Sure. Um, and you learn along the way. Um, may not be the best quality about me is that I learn along the way as I'm doing things instead of trying to determine ahead of time. And that's not what they taught us in business school. <laughs> the stuff up until right now with this, with the owner and the managers and CVS and all that stuff, would you have done anything differently or is it just like, hey, stuff happens and if, if it wasn't this happening, something else might have happened? Yeah, I think uh, that, that question about would I have done anything different with this whole drama aspect? Not counting all the struggles of an independent pharmacy, but just yes. all the drama up to there. Would Is there anything you could have done differently? Still not knowing all the background, is there anything you would have done differently if you came in again without the information? I likely wouldn't have done too many things different just because of the, the aspect of these are all things that give you learning lessons. Sure. Um, you know, you're going to open a business. You're going to have someone that's possibly not happy. Right. Well, you got to figure out a way to work around that. You're going to have some people that are happy and are going to be helpful. Yeah. And then you're going to have some people that wish you didn't exist on this earth. The whole aspect for me was that was all a learning lesson. If it would have been smooth sailing, then I don't think I would have a story. I would just yeah. be like every other owner out there, nor would I have all these life lessons along the way. Right. Um, because my goal is not to succeed by putting someone else down. A, a part of my religion, my background, my culture yeah. is not is not that. We believe in karma. Uh, you do good to others, good comes to you. You do bad to others, bad comes to you. That's never my intent or goal with anything I do and why I really don't speak about it to too many people. Yeah. Um, but once in a while, like, you know, enough builds up where you want to tell someone about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's why today... You're that guy. I'm like, you're, you're hearing our story because this is the story that has not been told. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's fascinating. But then again, I'm a wedding planner and I'm an event planner. Well, guess what? When it rains outside, the bride wants me to stop the, the rain from falling. So yeah. if we can figure out problems like that or you have a thousand people outside and it's raining or you're in Mexico and the bride's about to walk out and all of a sudden, you know, something goes haywire. Well, they're looking at me to figure it out. Likewise, I've been troubleshooting problems all my life. This is yeah. nothing different. It's just a matter of diffusing the the problem without um, causing anyone to like really dislike us. Where did you get your tenacity from? Is that something that is just born in you because we all have different personalities? Is it something handed down by your parents? Is it anything to do with your culture, your religious background? Or could I speak to your brother or sister and they're like pissing and moaning all the time? (laughs) Or is it something deeper that gives you this attitude? Well, it's funny that you asked that. This morning before I walked into the pharmacy... I told my wife one thing, not because she whines, but I was like, there's one thing that absolutely like irks me and that like destroys me. It's like kryptonite to me is that when people are negative or they whine a lot, I'm like, if you're negative or you whine a lot, 
you have all the reason in the world to go out there and do something about it. Sure. Sometimes I say I don't have time, but then I tell myself, stop making that excuse. You know, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, all these guys, how did they become the best players in the world? Yeah. They had the same amount of the day uh, as everyone else, but they use their time according to what their mission is. Is that from culture? Is that from parents? Or is that just who you are? That's your DNA that you've been gifted with? A couple people that I get that from. My parents being one, they came to this country uh, 40 years ago. uh, And in our area, they were some of the first Indian people that came from India. Not Native American Indian, but India Indians. Immigrants. Yes. Children of immigrants and immigrants are tough. (laughs) They are. We hear so many parents from our, or so so many stories from our parents that, um, you know, when we think of our excuses, it's like, all right, we really don't have excuses because the stuff they went through. Yeah. Out of this world. My parents came here with $5 in their in their wallet and two pairs of clothes. My mom used to sit on my dad's uh, bike handlebars and he, that's how he used to drop her off to work. And they had two, three jobs per day. Um, See, all we get from our parents is like they walk uphill to school both ways. I mean, that's as much as our parents. You've heard that story. You know, that's as much as yeah. we get from our non-immigrant parents. You guys, the immigrants and your children, you guys are fighters. It's it's all part of the learning and, and the culture that we were raised with. Our parents, like literally from a young age, we saw them uh, working labor jobs and they'd be doing jobs and that were like painful to say the least working sure. in factory settings. Yeah. And then somehow they made enough money to buy a, a store. And that's the story. They, we, we, our family used to own dollar stores. When we were younger, um, on the weekends or after school, we would go to our dollar store and fill the shelves. We would blow up balloons. Uh, and that's actually funny because today someone came in here to get balloons. We're a pharmacy that has balloons. Um, not because we make money on it, but for me, it's, a, it's like a pastime. Like I used to blow up 20 dozen balloons every Saturday morning. Yeah. And I can still blow up balloons faster than the average <laughs> balloon blower. <laughs> do you do the whole bending of them like the clowns do or, do you, or are you just a blower? That's that's a little bit beyond my capacity. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't have every talent in the world. <laughs> no. I can do balloon art but just with the strings, not, <laughs> not in terms of making animals and such. Then I'd have a line out the door if I could do that and I could count pills and counsel people. Is there anything in you inside of that store that brings you back to childhood of your parents owning a store and knowing customers by name and being inside of an enclosed building and all that kind of stuff? Does that have anything to do with you wanting to get back into a store or was that just coincidental? It was. It's actually a coincidence, um, but I do from time to time think about the days that I had at the dollar store. And yeah. the dollar store was actually about five minutes away from here. Really? So we had a couple of them and they were fairly close to this area. So some of the patients, what's crazy is one of the um, owners of the property that our dollar store was at became a patient. He came in here one day and he was telling me he owned such and such complex. And then I was like, wait a second, my dad used to own a pharmacy or he used to own a dollar store in that complex. And then I, we made the connection and I was like, yeah, that was my landlord. No kidding. Um, so like some of the things are still coming back in that regards. And also I know my parents spent many long days at that dollar store. Right. Um, sometimes we'd be there till midnight. So yeah. when I'm here till midnight, I really don't have a reason to complain because yeah. I know my parents did it and, uh, they did that for us. Uh, we didn't have that many loans or anything when we came out of college, they practically paid for our schooling, which was a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm going to start from the end and work backwards. You 
know how to make money, being the wedding planner and all that, all that stuff. You can make money. I don't know your finances, but just for the sake of argument, I'm going to call this a hobby for you. A hobby to see if you can conquer it. How long do you picture yourself owning a pharmacy? Because most people would say, well, I'm going to own it till I retire because I built it and this is my best money maker. I'm going to do this. But for you, from my limited knowledge, I see it as more of a hobby. When do you say, I tried it? I conquered it or I didn't conquer it. I'm on to the next thing. How long do you expect to own the pharmacy? Along with the reason why I opened this pharmacy, that's also one of the unknowns. I wish I had a number or an idea in terms of, you know, I want to keep this pharmacy for this many years or work here for that many years. But I think my role will change over time. Like right now I'm here making, and after this interview, I will be going out and making deliveries and it'll probably be 9, 930 that I'll start making deliveries and I'll be out till 11 o'clock. I don't want to do that down the road. Right now, I want to meet every single patient. So I have a couple new patients I switched over. Wow. I don't have to go out there and go deliver this medication. But when do you have it where a pharmacist comes to your house? Right. With a smile on your face and actually cares about you and wants to know your story. Yeah. And that's part of my childhood is that my parents are so talkative. My dad could have a conversation with a rock. I will go out and initially I want to be able to have that connection. So I get to learn uh, about them. Um, but over time, as this builds and we have more patients and uh, we want to implement new clinical services and such. I don't want to be that person that goes out to every single person's house every night and makes sure. deliveries. I'll have to hire more staff. Um, yeah. But there's also that whole aspect of when do I hire more people? I don't know anything about independent pharmacies in regards to you know, the, the script to technician ratio. I have to ask my friends everything. It's like you're, you're put into a school and you're starting from preschool. I feel like I'm that student and I'm, I'm still in preschool. We might have thousands of patients here in a year and a half, um, but I still consider myself in preschool and that's why I ask questions from other independent owners. Everyone's on speed dial. Every day they're getting questions and they might be the dumbest questions in the world, but I'm asking that question because I need to learn more about this and what I'm doing. Because while I'm here, and this is definitely a passion of mine, um, I, I cannot say that I do this you know, just because we're making money. Um, because if, if I said that, that we're doing this to make money, I would have sold this place already. I wouldn't spend 18 to 20 hours a day behind something and do it because you're making three cents on a prescription. Right. I know what I value my time as when I worked at Walgreens or what I charge as a wedding planner. Um, so if I had to put that into perspective here, that means that I should make Three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars a year. That doesn't happen, um, and it's it's barely it's been a year and a half, and I still don't pay myself. Um, and I work literally eighteen to twenty hours a day. Not to say I'm complaining because I, once again, the whole aspect of if I complain, I can do something about it. That yeah. that thought always passes my mind. Right. Um, it's just putting things into perspective where uh, someone who had no idea tried to open this place up. Yes, I've built a, a huge following in terms of the community, doctors. Um, and just social media following and things like that. But yeah. the the goal here was to create a story and show that if you put your heart behind something and you literally work so hard, you can make it happen. You can bring back something that people thought was dead and bring it back to life um, and be able to, to, to make it successful. While I sometimes joke with patients saying that um, we are the local nonprofit pharmacy um, <laughs> yeah. and that – 
I'm the nonprofit founder. Um, you know, at, at some point, you know, people feel terrible when they hear your story because I don't want to tell a patient that, hey, I just filled your prescription. And I just lost $300 on it. Like, right. that's not a fun thing to tell a patient. And they're right. like scanning because they actually love you as a, as a human being. Um, our patients don't come here because, um, you know, we're, we're giving them better prices or this and that. That's That happens regardless. They come here because they love us. They actually have a person they can connect to. That's their friend. Yeah. All the half my patients follow me on Facebook. They have my cell phone number. They're texting me. They're inviting us to their parties. Um, and that's the whole thing that they've never had really. And now to have that for them, it's like if if you're losing three hundred dollars on my prescriptions, I want you to tell me because I would not be able to sleep at night knowing that you like, you know, some people think I'm like their son or their grandson. They're not right. gonna let their grandson lose three hundred dollars on a prescription. Yeah, right. Uh, that would break their heart. And the patients that come here tell us, Mac, whatever you need us to do to make sure that you stay here, let us know because we'll do it. If we have to put signs in our yard saying switch to skip back pharmacy, we'll do it. And lo and behold, someone gave me the idea. I printed out 300 yard signs and skip back in Montgomery County was plastered with yard signs. There was literally really? when we would go out and make deliveries, it was crazy because I showed my wife like, look, there's our yard sign. Look, there's our yard sign. And these are all of our patients putting no kidding. a pharmacy yard sign in their yards. I didn't even have one in my own house. I mean, I didn't tell my patients that. But <laughs> I didn't have one in my own house lawn. And these guys and girls had it in their lawn. They have bumper stickers on the back of their vehicles that says, Skip Back Pharmacy has my back. Really? Who does that? We're not a sport. <laughs> How do you, if you're working 18 to 20 hour days... When something doesn't go your way, how do you release that energy? I think uh, like one thing that I've learned in, in the video, you can see this. You see that red dot on my forehead? Yeah. It's funny. I've, I've always had uh, questions like whenever people ask like, do you have questions for the pharmacist and this and that? It's the funniest thing because <laughs> while I was at Walgreens or here, they're like, we don't have any questions about the medication. But can you find out without being offensive? Why does he have a red dot on his forehead? <laughs> um, and for me, it's like, this is my religious symbol. So I have no fear. I actually wear it hoping that people ask me the question of what is that symbol on your forehead? I think my religious background is kind of shapes who I am as a person. Um, while I said my parents have been the driving factor, um, for us, my guru so guru is like a pope, how there is a, the pope in Catholicism. Yeah. For us, guru means a guiding light. Like they take us from darkness to light. And I feel like I've been in a lot of dark situations in my life, whether it was with the pharmacy um, or just at school, different situations. But I'm being guided constantly of do the right thing. And when I'm about to do something wrong, there's that red stop sign right on my forehead saying, stop. Like, you know, you're complaining or you have these issues. Just think about that patient that walked into your pharmacy and their daughter has cancer and they have six months left to live. Yeah. Is your life really that bad that it's as bad as that, you know, like you're hurting as much as that person. And I always try to think that I might have a bad, but somebody must really have a bad. There might be someone that has a drug problem and that's taking so much oxycodone or so depressed. They're taking so much, so many medications and they just can't figure it out. Um, that, I remind myself that um, I've been blessed with what I have. Even if I don't have money, oh well, it's it's not gonna change my life. I could have a mansion or I could live in a shack. But 
you you go and you ask someone that's you know that might not have that much money and lives in a little tiny apartment, how did you sleep la- last night? Versus you go ask somebody that has millions of dollars, right? Uh, they're a celebrity. How did you sleep last night? Yeah, you're probably going to get better sleep from the person that didn't have anything. Yeah, um, and the person that has everything in the world and they're got a million of fo- million followers on social media and their life so glamorous to the outside world, but meanwhile they're taking all these drugs. And oh, hear sure. about a year later, they just overdosed and they died. Right. So I don't think I don't um, connect happiness with money, riches, um, all of it. Like, you know, the materialistic things. Yeah. Like having some of those things, having right. a nice convertible car and things like that. Right. It's fun. But that doesn't make me happy. Happiness is in the aspect of helping people. So what if I don't make money immediately? Right. I think the whole aspect of karma, if I'm doing enough good things for people at some point, God will reward me. It, it might not be with money. It might give me another opportunity. I, didn't, yeah. I never thought I was going to open a, uh, a pharmacy. Well, in less than a year and a half, I've gotten four people asking me to buy my pharmacy. And I'm like, I've only opened up a year and a half ago. And these aren't right. chains. These are independent owners. And they want me to be a part of their team uh, to do different things. Not saying I'm going to do that, but there's always another opportunity that, that comes along the way. Uh, and these are learning experiences. Who knows, maybe I'm going to develop some other kind of innovation out of this that's going to change the way people view an independent pharmacy. Mac, there's got to be a scientific name for that. Got to be more than just a red dot. Yes. I just refer to patients as the red dot because that's what people ask me. What's the red dot on your what's forehead? The official, what's the official name? The official name of it is Diluc Janlo. Diluc, T-I-L-A-K. And then the second word is Janlo, C-H-A-N-D-L-O. So the Diluc is the U. The U represents the feet of God and the red. I don't see a U. Every morning I put it on. So about 18 hours later now, uh, (laughs) it's faded away. Oh, it's not. It's not. It's not permanent. (laughs) No. Every morning I have to pray. And I tell my patients, if you see me without this red dot and the U on my forehead, that means I haven't I didn't I didn't get a chance to pray. And that means I haven't eaten anything. (laughs) So in the beginning, patients have seen me without the red dot like Mac It's 6 p.m. You eat. still haven't eaten a single thing. Go Home eat, and or eat. I'm gonna go get you feed, uh, get you some something to to feed you. And I'm like, I know. In the beginning, it was really tough because I I wake up uh, so early in the morning, get to bed so late, and I'd have to rush out the door. Um, but now I've developed a sense of normalcy after a year and a half, um, and I and I get to pray. And my prayer is that time of meditation and peace. So any of the stressors I have in this world, it's just me and my guru and my God at that time. And I don't think about anything else. Um, and that really calms me down. Your guru, that, that's a person? An actual person, yes. An actual person that you're with? Yes. He's actually in India right now. Um, so, But he travels the world. And a lot of my time is, is dedicated to volunteering. Like if COVID wasn't happening right now, yeah. I would spend um, probably 15, 20 hours a week volunteering uh, for, our, for our organization. It's called BAPS. B as in boy, A as in apple, P as in Paul, S as in Sam. I looked that up. And on LinkedIn, you've got about... 800 uh, (laughs) groups you've been on. I don't know if you know this. I don't want to break any news to you, but you do know that you went to a Catholic college for four years, right? I do. And what's what's even more amazing is they were so appreciative of me. That's awesome. As being the Hindu with the red dot on the forehead (laughs) and everything. That's great. That's what I actually loved is I love people coming together for a cause because if it's for something positive, now imagine the dean of Villanova School of Business said any class that I want to take at Villanova post-graduation, it's free. 
That's just awesome. send them a message. And this is the the Hindu kid that was in the school. Send him a message and he'll waive the tuition and I can go right into class. I cut you off. The U stands for what? And what does the dot stand for? The U is Tilak and that represents the feet of God. Yeah. The red dot is a Chanlo and that represents a devotee. So a devotee me bowing down at the feet of God and staying within the confines of what he would want me to do. A lot of the principles of our of Hinduism are similar to a lot of the religions of the world. It's doing good for people, uh, not stealing, not cheating, not lying. All the regular things that a lot of religions have, very synonymous. I'm actually glad you're asking these questions because these are the kind of questions people ask me. And sometimes with faith, you don't know the reasoning behind a lot of things. You just trust the process. You know, like there's, there's a rule behind this, so I just follow it. Uh, likewise, I don't know if there's a pot of gold at the end of this rainbow um, in the pharmacy, but trust the process, work hard, and hopefully there is something at the, at the end of it. You trust the process. And this is coming from a guy who on Ash Wednesday's got a big black smudge on his head all day. <laughs> That's actually you know? the one day of the year that I absolutely love because there's so yeah. many people in this world that are wearing <laughs> symbols on their forehead. It's like, yes. Now I'm not the only one because all of us together have symbols. And I, I get excited when they come into the pharmacy. I'm like, thank you. I'm there like, you go. Giving there high you fives go. to patients. And- yeah. Oh, that's cool. How do you still do your wedding stuff at the pharmacy? Are you able to peck away at stuff while you're there? Or when do you, when do, you do your um, communicating and stuff? The more you do something, the better you become at it. Sure. More efficient. and It used to take me weeks to come up with a wedding timeline for a couple. Yeah. Now – if I have a conversation with a couple for 10 to 15 minutes, I can pretty much plan out their entire wedding. And then do you do any of that work at the store? After hours, kind of how um, I'm talking to you right now. So after the doors lock at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., um, that's when a majority of couples – and it actually works out because most couples yeah. work during the daytime. Yeah, they're busy so and stuff. they want to talk in the evening, 8, 9 o'clock. Right. And this does the, – the pharmacy aspect does not interfere at all with the wedding aspect because on the weekends, um, I have a pharmacist. Uh, that comes in and that's during wedding season. So I have somebody comes in and I'm out planning weddings on the weekends. Most people, most South Asians don't have weddings on the weekdays. Um, it's just a Saturday or Sunday event. So uh, physically going to the weddings is all on the weekends. All right. You're in the pharmacy now. You're starting off. What things in independent pharmacy hit you like a ton of bricks? Like what things are you like? I can't believe this is part of this. What things just like blew you over? Well, not blew you over, but potentially could have blown you over. When I started, like day one, everything, you know, patients started flooding back in here. And I'm saying when they flooded in here, it was like they were celebrating the best day of their life after their wedding when they heard this pharmacy opened up. Um, They were patients coming in here crying. And I was capturing these stories because... While they're telling me their story, things are being documented in the profile. So I know a little bit about the patients. Yeah. Um, I was learning all that aspect, um, but I, I didn't get the whole insurance aspect. Um, right. We also didn't have all the insurances enrolled in the beginning. So a lot of people, I was like, what was the copay you were paying for this before? And it's kind of crazy. There's a, there's pharmacies that operate without accepting insurance. One guy in uh Pittsburgh, Blueberry Pharmacy. I got to meet him. So if you're out there listening, I want to meet you. Yeah. Um, he opened a pharmacy, doesn't accept insurance. So we were kind of that kind of pharmacy in the beginning, just finding out if it's a generic drug, what were you paying? I'll, I'll do the same copay. And that was the model. So I didn't realize anything about insurance companies. And then 
um, we started, you know, we got our contracts enrolled and everything was good to go. Um, we started running claims through. And then I saw the whole aspect of someone told me like pharmacies used to get $10 per prescription back in the day um, for filling prescriptions. And then I, I have this system called Pioneer. Um, yeah, we have Pioneer too. I looked at it and I, and I asked the I asked my account manager every question. I think if there's any Pioneer user that calls or hits that software button more in the country than more than I do, <laughs> I'd like to meet them because at least at least two to three hours a day I'm on the phone with them, um, and they they actually appreciate me asking all these questions. Good people, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, I asked him the question of. What is like, you know, that this is all these amounts that we are submitting and they're all high volume. Like, it seems like amazing. But then how come on this side, the amount that we get back is like so minimal. It doesn't equate. Like we're sending something for $400 and on the other end, we're getting like 10 cents back or zero back. Yeah. How does that make sense? And then they started slowly explaining to me that um, they might reimburse you five cents per prescription. And I was like, wait a second. You're telling me? They think we're worth five cents a prescription. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like, in what country, even the third world country, they might value a pharmacist more than five cents per prescription. Right. Um, so that kind of blew my mind in the beginning, considering we have doctorates. People call me Dr. Mac. And I'm like, all right, Dr. Mac here. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah, Dr. Mac's making five cents a prescription. Right. And that blew my mind. Um, but once again, it's just one of those things that, okay, this is what it is. I can sit here, complain, whine all day, or I can figure out something around it. <clears throat> so at that point, I was like, great. They value me at five cents, but at least I'm not losing money. And then I started seeing these red lines <laughs> come across my screen. I'm like, hit the software button. Welton, what is this red line that I see next to GP? I remember GP in, in business school, meaning gross profit. Yeah. Why are why these it, lines turning red? red? Right. Why are they red? And then this parentheses around them. And he's like, Mac, that means you're losing money filling that script. And I was like, wait, you're telling me I signed up to own a pharmacy and I lose money? How is that possible? How can I give right. someone a service? Uh, I understand the five cent is positive at least. But how can I give someone a medication and end up losing money? And then I saw like once in a while, I'd be like, Minus $2, minus $4. And then I was like, okay, those minus two or four, that's fine. Um, I guess it's just part of the business. And then I started seeing like minus 700 and minus 500. And I was like, what in God's planet thought that someone can offer a service and lose $500 a month filling someone's script? Yeah. Like that's not a sustainable model. That does not no. make sense. No pharmacy would be able to stay open if they're filling prescriptions and losing $500 a month on that one patient. Now imagine multiply that by X amount of patients and you have a big problem. Um, so then I, I called and I asked and I was like, how can we reduce that minus? And then he taught me some strategies. Um, I reached out to other independent pharmacy owners and um, some of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of. I learned a lot from other owners. And I think my biggest resource and teachers were other independent owners because sure. yes, you have those that are saying, oh my God, this thing is tanking. We're dying as an industry. We're going to be extinct. But then you have those people that are like, they might not be the ones complaining, but they're they're figuring out problems in the background and sure. saying, all right, this is this, this but we're going to work around by doing this. Yeah. Um, so we felt we got creative and we also realized we have a patient set that will literally do anything. They'll sell those soul for us. They'll put yard signs. So what's, even if they have a inkling that, um, 
you know, we might be out of pharmacy again if this profit loss thing keeps happening. And I didn't want to tell them because I don't want to break their hearts. Right. Uh, also, certain insurance contracts, um, it says in the fine print that we can't tell a patient if they're losing, if we're losing money on that. So yes, I follow rules. Um, I want to make sure that we don't violate any of our contracts or agreements. So we don't tell people that you know we might be losing money on a script. But on the back end, we have to figure out, oh, there's actually other ways to get drugs for cheaper. Yeah. And th- that doesn't mean going on the, cor- the corner of Main Street and Broad Street to buy them from somebody. There's a lot of different wholesalers. Um, there's uh, conglomerates called Farm Saver and Trexate and all these things that I never knew about. I didn't know about that until six months in. So I was paying full price for medications. And then I was like, wow, this one medication is $90 on this company and it's $20 on this company. So that minus $50 that I was losing by filling it at the actual cost I was getting, I could potentially make $5 over here. So I was like, all right, we figured this system out. So now when we actually order medications, nothing's set to auto order because everything changes. One day, um, an EpiPen could be $50. The next day, it could be $300. Um, or Valsartan can be $5 one day. And then all of a sudden, it's like $300. Um, so I don't want to set an auto order system in our place where one day I could be charged something and the next day it changes like 15, 20 times more. And that's not considered a violation of any kind of pricing rules. That just, that's just a part of the, the, the game. Um, sadly is this industry is a game. It's a game. If you don't know how to maneuver around it, your game's over. Talking about the prices and things like that. I'm not an expert on this, but I know that the president a couple years ago, allowed more talk to go on about prices and so on. He he got rid of that gag rule. And so there's more leniency now for years and years. You know, you can never talk about that stuff. And now there's some more leniency there. Yes, indeed. And it, because I don't know the rules fully, I just err on the side of caution um, until I actually fully know because – being a, a kid in preschool, you don't want to make the, the wrong mistake because you didn't know. And all of a sudden now you're in trouble because you didn't know. So I always try to be cautious. And my wife's a lawyer. So that's our first auditor. There you <laughs> is go. That if we're doing anything wrong, <laughs> I just go yeah. home and my wife is there. to. And not only that, she's a pharmacist and she's a lawyer. And what she does for a living is she helps independent pharmacies fight some of these, uh, you know, some of the, the wrong practices that are happening out there. Um, that's her day to day. And once again, she never signed up for that. She got an opportunity from from her boss um, who recognized that she has strengths as both a pharmacist and a lawyer. And he saw her value and he said, I have a project. And that project is, you know, a lot of these independent pharmacies are struggling or um, they're getting audited and there's so many different things happening and they're reaching out to us more and more and we think you have value. And that's why my wife has, has now she also started on ground zero when it comes to independent pharmacies, but yeah. she's slowly learning so much about the industry and so many people are reaching out to her about it. I'm lucky that I have her on my side, basically. Like I can ask her a question like, can I do this? Can I not do that? Because she studied the contracts um, from the insurance companies and the other the other governing bodies. So I have that reference or that resource. Um, but then again, people that don't have a wife who's a lawyer, we have each other. Like if I have no fear in asking any other independent owner because we're a family and we're in the same fight together. So you want to help a brother or sister out um, when they're reaching out and they don't know what to do. And we have so many people on on the group. I could say we're like a family of like 3000 people that everyone just helps each other out. 
And that's true. And before we started recording today, Mac, when we were just meeting each other, you said, you know, you feel like you knew me and I feel like I know you. And a lot of that's from, you know, we share the same, uh, the common background and social media certainly has helped all that out. Yes, indeed. And I, and I think that's, that's the great thing about us. Um, even if you look at the people that serve for our country, um, you know, there's a lot of war veterans, but I've seen the way they interact when they come in and see another war veteran, even if they're wearing yeah. a hat or a shirt. Right. They have been through the same kind of struggles, the battles. Um, they might have fought in different wars or done different things. And I'm really observant of their behaviors. But it's like two brothers meeting. Even sure. if they don't know each other, they they kind of connect and gel together. And you might have a friendship that just started in the pharmacy. But in the same way, I think that's the thing with us independent owners yeah. is that um, we've had similar struggles. Some might yeah. have had them for 50 years and someone like me might have had it for a year. Right. But we're going to gel. We're going to help each other out because that's how brothers and sisters do. They help each other. So, Mac, an 18-year-old comes to you and says, Dr. Mac, two questions. Do I go into pharmacy school? And after pharmacy school, do I go into independent pharmacy? How do you answer that? It's funny because a lot of people have asked that question uh, yeah. and a lot of younger students um, have asked me, should I go into pharmacy school at this point? And what I did was I actually took that question and asked more veteran independent pharmacy owners uh, to get their thoughts. Um, a lot of them, I'll be very honest and candid. They said, no, don't do it. That's what, that's what they, they would tell me um, because there's so many unknowns. Uh, they would say, don't do it. I would say, do it. But don't do it if you're just going to be a regular independent pharmacy owner because you might not make it. You have to be different. I see these sad stories of pharmacy owners like Gaddy Pharmacy. I've looked up to Stephanie since the moment I started a pharmacy because she embodies community service, patient care. She's an expert when it comes to like that human aspect and touch of let's do all these clinical things and do everything right. She literally followed that model, you could say. They recently closed – uh, this was in the last couple of weeks. And uh, she was a person like, you know, PBCN, PA pharmacist, NCPA. She's like the head and leader of all these organizations and did everything according to, you know, what is the right for the patient. And she had to close her pharmacy after she that sucks. did that model of let me do everything that I need to do for my patients. And she's, you know, she shared her story. And that's what really hit me. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe she's literally – the cookie cutter approach to how someone should care for a patient and that required them to shut down. Kind of shakes you a little bit. Those things are just fuel to add to my fire. I let that anger out in the terms of like, all right, you're playing this game. Let's go. I'm ready to do something different. You don't have anything to lose. If you see our my LinkedIn or Facebook, we try not to rant too much. It's It has to be a balance of positive and educational. Um, I think our role now is... Uh, there's going to be independent pharmacy owners that are scared. That's fine. I actually pulled uh, an independent pharmacy Facebook group. I wanted to find out why are so many people scared to talk. Right. Overwhelming response was that they're afraid of losing their contracts, getting audited, and this and that. And that's understandable. Um, and then you have some people that like they don't give a rat's ass of what uh, these people do. So you have two sides of the spectrum and then you have the middle – that's like, I want to educate my patients, but be like very professional about it. But when all this builds up, it's hard to hard medium to grasp of which side am I going to choose? Like, do I just sit there and be quiet? Do I stand up and voice 
or do I just go in the middle and just tell my patients and then hope they spread the message? Um, for me, I feel like I need to educate people and I won't directly like expose any companies or things like that. I'll just let people know about what's happening and it's up to the viewer. Um, you know, where we fill an EpiPen and we lose a few hundred dollars on it. This person needs it or they're going to die and they can't get it out of chain. You think that's right that we would lose a few hundred dollars on this? If you think that's fine, then go ahead, continue supporting this kind of business. If you think something's wrong, then take action because until people take action, um, everyone can sit at home and judge and, uh, critique things, but you have to actually take action. Like I've actually started supporting small businesses more. That wasn't me before. I'd be like, all right, let me just support these large businesses, not support them. I just fast, easy, convenient. Um, let me just do that method. And then I was like, wait, all these people are supporting me, even though they have more accessible options. There's thousands of these chains, but why are these people, why are someone driving 45 minutes away to come to my pharmacy and passing like 10 other pharmacies along the way? So I started thinking more about um, human psychology and what makes people do what they are doing. And that's when I realized that it's the whole aspect of care. They care for us, so why shouldn't I share that care back? And if it requires me uh, to go a little bit above and beyond and do different things, so be it. And uh, that's why like, I've complained a little bit. I, le I leave the complaints in my mind. Uh, one crazy thing about me is I don't really stress. Um, and that's sounds insane. I don't stress during the daytime. Maybe I do in my sleep. I don't realize it because I get so little of it. Uh, and it doesn't wake me up. I feel like uh, they say uh, one of my friends is like sleep when you're dead because you'll be sleeping for a while at that time. Um, that's why I know sleep's very important. But for me, it's like right now, this is my time. Uh, one day I'll have kids. I'm not going to be able to do this kind of thing when I have you have 10 kids. And that's so admirable that you can manage all these things. I think it's a, it's a little bit more challenging when you have other obstacles along the way or other things that are coming about in your life. Yeah, there's a time. Mac, sleep when you're dead. What happens to you when you die? What does your faith teach you? So for me, we go to a place called Akshadam. Akshadam? Yes. Similar to how there's heaven. Yeah. Uh, for us, it's a place where God resides. Um, and our guru, the, our guide who's here on this earth, uh, for, for me, it's it's our guru's name is Mahan Swami Maharaj. So he's the one that will take us from the earth and basically take us to God's abode. And we call that Akshadam. And there, there's no names. You don't have a name. You don't have money. No one's, you know, it's just you and God and all devotees around you. And you're just in almost complete peace and happiness. And that's, that's the whole goal is that you want to, for me, my peace is not through materialism or through money and objects. It's to develop happiness just through other means. Um, and that means is happiness while here on earth. So if somebody comes in here and they're really pissed about something or upset, well, if I can change that person's mindset and make them happy before they leave, I'm following my guru's credo of in the joy of others lies our own. So if they're happy, that should translate to I can become happy because I just made that person happy. Do you have any reincarnation? We do. Now, a part of Hinduism is if, if you do enough bad things in this, in this life, we would come back, uh, back to this earth again. But the whole goal of Hinduism is to escape that cycle of birth and death. To escape that because you want to stay in the, I can't pronounce it, but you want to stay in the heaven with God. Correct. You're coming through this again as almost like the Catholics coming through purgatory. Exactly. I might have been here uh, last life as an ant or a monkey or God knows what I was here before. Yeah. But um, I've gotten to, you know, now I'm in a human form. 
And the goal is to get out of the cycle of birth and death, birth and death, because in this cycle, you obviously there's moments in our life where we're like so happy. And then there's moments in your life where like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening to me. But you can cycle through again as, as a human still, right? Yes. But if I do enough positive things and I truly attach myself to God, part of Hinduism is losing your attachments. If my car were to get stolen outside, as I walk outside and somewhere to steal it, I should not have in my mindset like, oh my God, my car is stolen. My day is ruined. My life is ruined. Right. If this pharmacy were to burn down after I go home tonight and tomorrow morning, I wake up and walk here and the entire place is in flames. Yeah. If I have that stability in my mind, this was God's doing. God wanted to burn, so it burned. Now let me just move on to the next venture. So a part of me is when I opened this pharmacy, uh, I got guidance from my guru saying, what should I do next? He's kind of my coach in the sense where um, any decision, when I ask to go to business school, should, should I go to business school or should I do this? Um, and I got guidance to go to business school. So for me, things happen for the right reason. How many people does he guide? We have over a million followers throughout the world. No. How many people does your guru guide? Because he's more individual. You talk to him personally? Over a million people. And that's the thing that blows people's mind, minds is that one person can have that personal connection with over a million people throughout the world. You don't talk to him personally though, do you? We do. So he doesn't just stay like he doesn't just stay in India. Gotcha. It, during COVID right now, he's he's in a village in India, separate from people. But normally he goes, he travels the world. So he was actually supposed to be here right now in New Jersey. Kind of like how you mentioned the Pope. He's getting around and he's talking to them and so on. Yes. And when he does come here to New Jersey, for example, like he was supposed to be here right now. Yeah. We actually, as devotees, get an opportunity to meet him and talk to him about any problems. No kidding. So there's like a line that forms. He's in his room. And then any issues, one person, like the person in front of me could could say, I'm seeking uh, blessings for my marriage. Should I do this or that? Somebody else could say, I want to start this business. Somebody could ask this most silly questions like, um, I need to, you know, I have this much money. Should I get this or should I get that? And there's literally any kind of guidance. But the whole aspect is whatever he says is not blind faith. Just do it with faith. Trust his words and then obviously do good while you're doing it. So when I asked him, of, should I take on this pharmacy or not? I got a letter back. Because um, I, I got a letter back when I first asked. So right now, devotees can write letters to our guru, and he responds back. When he responds back, would you say that is that's good advice, or is it inspired? Does he have inspired wisdom to share with you? He is our guru because he has constant connection with God. Okay, so if he has it, so then your pharmacy is not your mission only. It's God's mission. Yes, this pharmacy, and it's not even mine. When patients come in here, this is their pharmacy. I do while I own the name Skip Back Pharmacy. I own this pharmacy. Nothing in this world is mine. Everything is is materialism in one way or another, and everything is not infinite. Like it could be here today, it could be mine today, it could be burned up tomorrow. Um, and that way, if you have that mindset that nothing is yours, you could lose this pharmacy uh, in terms of uh, catastrophe. You know, it gets destroyed somehow, and if it's not yours. You're not going to have change and stability of your mind. You're a, a steward of it. You're you're a manager of it for God, basically. Exactly. Yep. Mac, so you die. What do you hope God will say to you? Well, I hope he's just happy with the, the effort that I put in. Because the whole goal for me, regardless, is uh, to do good for people. And, yeah. you know, he'll probably be sitting there, like, reviewing my checklist to see how many good things that I did, see how many bad things I did. And hopefully I passed the test of did I have... 
uh, enough good things that I've done for people, um, for the world and for myself, my family. Um, and I, that I also not have those attachments. So did I live in this world without fully being attached to everything? Like if my phone were to shatter, it's a phone. Okay. I'll just replace it. And people, sometimes people might think that's kind of nuts in terms of, oh, you're not connected to this as much, or you don't care about it. Well, if I wasn't connected to this pharmacy, I wouldn't be here 18 hours a day. I'm here because I have a mission and the mission is to help people and it's to help people. And hopefully the model eventually changes and that it can become profitable while we don't necessarily make money in our prescriptions. Well, something else positive came out of it. Um, We ended up becoming one of the number one sellers of Medterra CBD in the country. Now imagine that a brand new pharmacy becomes a top seller of CBD. How did that happen? We didn't just put the product out there. I had a student sit out there for one of the rotations, his project, Shark Tank style. Let's figure out CBD. I want to learn about it. I want our patients to learn about it. And then I want you to be the the leader of this. And he made our website. He sat there talking to patients. And we learned so much about CBD um, that we don't sell CBD because we want to make money. We sell CBD because we want to help someone get off a drug. Uh, That whole mindset of I'm trying to change the patient's health for the better. And if it means more natural health supplements, um, doing things like exercise or just having a positive mind, breathing, whatever it might be, if that can help somebody, awesome. And CBD is a part of that whole spectrum of natural health for me. And and it sparked enough interest where it, the word got to the CEO of the company. Um, they flew me out and one thing led to another. And now I'm their head pharmacist. That's proof that you can do something if you keep pushing. Yep. Well, Mac, if I even get a chance to talk to God, if I get there before you do, I'm going to put in a good word for you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're a good man. Hey, Mac, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Mike, likewise, I appreciate this conversation. You really made me think about things I never thought about before. And when the opportunity meets and we meet in person or through a video interview or something, we will be dancing. We're going to celebrate because the way things are headed with the industry, it'll change. We have to be positive. We have to be optimistic. We're caring for human beings. We're caring for lives here. And eventually things have to change for the better for us because we're doing things that actually care about people. And yeah. um, positive things will happen for those that care for others, no matter what. If I tell you I pray in the morning, can I get the... We're on the same team. You'll join our club. <laughs> can I join the club with the dot? 100%. You're on the same team. When we meet, bring that along. And if I dance well and if I said my prayers, I get one. 100%. I'm not giving up breakfast, though. That's the only That's the only reason I'm not joining you in your faith, because there's no way in hell that I'm going to skip breakfast. What's crazy is I haven't eaten breakfast, lunch, or dinner today. It's 9.40, and I've been out of my house since 8 o'clock in the morning. I've just had coffee and water today. You're insane. Don't do this at home, kids. <laughs> All right, Matt. God bless. Thank you, Mike. We'll talk. Take care. Yeah, bye. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.